Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to our hub today. My name is Jason Stewart. I'm on the Exponential staff and I'm privileged uh, to just host this conversation. One of our book tour stops where we just kind of bring to life and unpack an important resource we feel like our Exponential community needs to hear. And um, really, we feel like it's um, some content that will encourage and equip you for your role in church multiplication and church leadership. So I want to uh, welcome our two authors today, authors of the book Improv Leadership. And we're going to have a fantastic conversation just listening in um, to their journey and expertise. And um, so our two authors are Stan Endicott and David Miller. So let me tell you about them. Stan is the co-founder and chief cultural officer at Slingshot Group. Um, Stan has coached hundreds of leaders, and especially many of today's young leaders. His career uh, started as a record producer and gave him the experience to effectively lead people in what he calls in the moment. And I know we're going to hear more about that because that kind of... Uh, uh, weaves its way into uh, the big ideas in this book of improv leadership. Stan today focuses on creativity, curiosity, and leads people toward identifying the very life work that they love. Stan, I want to just uh, personally welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, uh, Jason. Appreciate this opportunity to talk about this stuff. And uh, I haven't heard somebody read my bio for a while, so... <laughs> is it all still true stan do we need to change anything there like, well, you probably overshot it but that's oh, totally okay. fine yeah I, we're I, good. I, we're thought, good. I thought you were leading up to like a big announcement that we got to you know headline here yeah you don't hear an orchestra playing right now <laughs> oh that's awesome well along with stan i also want to invite in david miller david serves alongside the Slingshot Group and the team there with Stan as an improv leadership advisor. Uh, David has a background serving as a pastor, a speaker, a teacher, and a coach in many diverse contexts, from a thriving multi-site church to parachurch ministries. And today, David currently is the chief people and product officer at Novus Global. So David, come on in. Thank you for uh, joining us today in the Hub. So great to hang out. And I, and, and I don't get to hang out with Stan as much as I like. And so anytime someone says, hey, you and Stan get to have a conversation together, I go, I'm in. Let's go. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, guys, we've invited you in, like I said at the beginning, because uh, YouTube written a book, the, the title of it's Improv Leadership. We'll have that link in the chat in a second because we want our audience um, here live um, to get that. And then obviously, if if you are listening to this later, it's improvleadershipbook.com. Um, but you guys have written a book that is, is timely in the midst of the uh, just the cultural dynamic we find ourselves in, the pressure that leaders, you know, as we at Exponential work with uh, church leaders of all contexts, denominational leaders, leaders who are leading kind of apostolic movements or networks of church plants, just all kinds. I think the last you know year and a half, two years has pressed in on leaders more than any time in their lifespan. And, you know, we see the challenges and the hurdles that leaders are facing and many who are dealing with uh, burnout, um, who are just facing uh, topics and division within the organizations and the churches they lead. 
you know, more difficult than they've ever found themselves in. And um, so really, you know, just curious as you guys have released this book of improv leadership, just really love to hear kind of Mm -hmm. the big idea of what inspired you guys to write this book and, and just really the timeliness of this moment we find ourselves in as leaders, as kingdom leaders and, and, uh, and how this book kind of helps leaders in that moment. Yeah. I, I think I can, lean into that a little bit here in the, in the beginning, honest truth is Jason, that, that this was not supposed to be a book. Um, we, we had, we really wanted to equip our coaches. We had, uh, 21 coaches at the time and now far more at slingshot. And, um, and we wanted to equip our coaches with the, with the best way to get to the heart of a person. And, and so this was meant to be an internal training for, for our coaches and to really give a skill and these, these five competencies over to them. And so um, as we got started, we started to realize, you know, who does that better than probably anyone is Stan. Stan has this ability to get to the heart of a person and inspire them. And we needed to figure out how we were going to bottle that and, and use it as a, you know, have the ability to train and transfer that skill to other leaders over, um, over about a four year period of launching that actually Stan, I, I saw this today on, you know, fa- love the Facebook memories, right? Facebook memories told me that we launched this internally four years ago at slingshot group, um, wow. and use it as our coaching strategy there. And what happened, like a lot of good things, Jason, it started to leak out and people started saying, Hey, thanks for coaching me, but I, I lead five staff members or I have, a volunteer team, or I, how, how do you teach me how to coach other people? And so, um, you know, that turned into a, a training that now thousands have gone through, um, you know, in, in what we've done. And, and, and we were approached by someone that said, you know, this is a book. People need, people need to have this on their shelf and be able to, to reference this from, from time to time. And so, um, you know, the inspiration really was, how do we draw the best out of people and, and learning from the way that Stan has done that so well, and then expanding that beyond into how our coaches have done that so well. And the book was born. I love that Genesis story there of how, how the book came to be. Stan, I'd love to hear kind of your point of view on how this book came to be as David highlighted, how you got pulled in to just, um, how it sounds like it really unearths a lot of just maybe some things that were, uh, uh, you know, unconsciously, you were unconsciously competent in. Um, I'm pulling some disciple making tools I learned years ago, and that there's a lot of leaders who are unconsciously competent in things. And that's awesome, but that doesn't help replicate leaders. And so a lot of times as leaders, we have to kind of, you know, kind of take some steps back and become consciously competent to help others know to do what we know to do. And so it sounds like how the book came to be was a lot of that journey for, for you and David through that process. So I'm curious about hearing like what that was like for you of having to kind of take some steps back in and really become aware of things. Maybe that you just didn't, you know, naturally. That's, that's a great, great thought. And, I think that uh, 
anytime in our careers that we, you know, one of the questions I will ask people is, is uh, at what point in your career or your ministry or in your high school and college days, at what point in your life did people recognize something about you that they seemed to uh, have an opinion that you were successful at it? And then, you know, uh, maybe there might be four of those milestones, okay? And then to track, what about those particular situations did, did I seem to replicate in the process? And most people aren't willing to spend that kind of time, but that's kind of how this all happened. Um, I learned how to, well, first of all, every, every situation I've ever been in in my life, uh, since college, college forward, that everybody that I was working with was better than me and that was, had more skill than me. Maybe not more talent, but more skill than me. And so I was, I was used to working with, you know, for, I was in a recording studio basically five days a week from 1976 until 2003, five days a week with world-class musicians. So, and back then, um, because of my gray hair, you will hear me say back then once in a while. Um, but back then we didn't have computers and we just hired great musicians. It, might, it was my responsibility to inspire them and to motivate them and to lead them all that all of them would be in a frame of mind to be the very best they could be in those moments. And those were the things that I learned. And so <clears throat> the five competencies of improv leadership are exactly a mirror of all of those things. So, you know, the, the, the five competencies, story mining, precision praise, metaphor cementing, lobbing forward and going north. Those are all things that in the book, we've uh, unpacked those things. And those are things that, that have been helpful to me. And so um, the name improv idea came to me because my daughter called me and said, Dad, have you ever heard of uh, this particular uh, comedian? Mm. And um, I'm fine to tell you who it is. It was Nate Bargatze. Mm -hmm. And I just love his approach. And uh, I heard him live four times, and then I kind of uh, stalked the moment and at the last time and hung out so I could actually try to meet the guy. And I did get a chance to talk to him briefly. But when I was sitting in the crowd listening to Nate Bargatze, I thought this book idea that, that I have or the way that I'm coaching our team is really improvisation. Most people think that improvisation is making things up in the moment. It's not. It's recalling things and bringing them forward. Mm. So the best Bible teachers that we know, the best communicators we know, you go, oh, 
he just was so comfortable referring to scripture and and mm-hmm. the context for it and the history of it and the, the, the delivery of it. You go, how spontaneous? Well, not so, because you got to look at the 15 years of investing a lot of time to get good at something. So the improv leadership idea was really how to inspire people and how to move them along in on the same journey. And these five things in the improv leadership book are the things that we've learned that accomplish that. Yeah. So I, I was really curious about hearing more and I'm glad you went there, Stan, about just the, the aspect of improv and the title of the book, Improv Leadership. And so I'm curious, I love that, David, you know, Stan, I'm not, here's my question. And, you know, you can take that person, David, you know, jump in to, to add to it as well is, is, you know, hearing, and I love the definition that helped me a lot of just what improv, improv is and, and improvisation and what that looks like and what it truly is, is, did you guys choose that title or, or use that as a, as a key idea to as pointing at maybe some, some um, you know, things where you see leaders kind of stuck in a rut or kind of working off paradigms um, that are not as effective or strong and you're trying to push them to maybe a different paradigm of leadership that you see as more effective? Uh, oftentimes, Well, first of all, really great leaders are seldom mentors of others. And I would the reason I say that is because they oftentimes do not have the patience or the desire to spend one-on-one time with people. And one of the things that improv leadership does is that it includes the relational aspect of life and and of mission. And I think as we look where the where the world is with the COVID, that now as people are gathering again, they seem to really need to spend some extra time in either repairing relationships or building new relationships. So this is uh, leaders oftentimes pres- uh, prescribe to a particular way of leading people. And this is a prescriptive way to do it, but it, it involves relational building and really knowing and, and what makes people tick. We're not counselors. We don't have the skill for that or the, or the uh, I'm not a psychologist, but we, through a lot of experience, we've learned what makes people react the way they do? So leading in any kind of moment is important because there's going to be, there's always going to be a new twist to a particular situation and to be flexible and have the skill to adapt to a particular situation is key. And we believe, and we have learned in our organization Slingshot we now have about 59 people on our staff. We have, I think, 20 people full-time, the rest on contract. And we're virtual. But we work very hard at building relationships, even virtually. And here's a great perfect example is David Miller and myself. Uh, we have invested a lot of time together, and it took a lot of time in building this book. But it's prescriptive, but it's very relational. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's really well said, Stan. I, um, I do, you know, I, we've all been in the leadership trainings and there is a, there's a leaning. I think our, the human brain wants to categorize things. Um, and so we have all these trainings that are out there that really um, are highly prescriptive. It, you know, there's step one, step two, step three, and that's awesome as long as the system stays intact, as long as humanity, the messiness of people doesn't uh, creep in. And, and, and obviously I'm, I, you know, I'm being a little bit sarcastic in that, right? Like that's like, it's always gonna creep in. And, and what I find is that most leaders do a pretty good job if we know exactly what we're supposed to do at the exact moment, but what happens when we get thrown a curveball? And that's where we're watching leaders um, you know, have, have huge failings or huge, you know, gaps in, in what they're able to bring to the table. And, and for me, I think as, as we were, were writing this, um, we honestly, we started kind of prescriptive, Hey, here's what session one looks like. Here's what session two looks like. And we started really pushing against ourselves saying, that's not actually leadership. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not what that is. Leaders have to be able to adapt leaders have to be able to improv in the moment. And to Stan's point earlier, only the best can improv. Mm -hmm. You have to be so highly talented to be able to draw on your skill and your experience and your talent in a moment and contribute in a way that actually adds to the experience of others. And so to, to me, this is a, this is a book that, that is saying, Hey, leader, what if it always, it, what if it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go? What if something happens in the life of your team and you need to respond differently? Will you be able to do that? And if you can, if you can master these five core competencies, you will have the tools you need. You need to know the situation, but these tools can, can almost like a tool belt. You decide when to use a hammer, when to use uh, a screwdriver in this toolbox, you decide when you need to story mine or when you need to precision praise. And we're going to give you the best tools possible. That's great, David. Thank you. And I want to remind everyone who's watching and listening along, we you are in the Exponential Hub. We're glad you've joined us today. And we have the privilege of talking about a new book uh, for leaders called Improv Leadership. I'm with author Stan Endicott and David Miller, who are just giving us behind the scenes of how this book came to life and how it's impacting leaders and just some of the that we're going to unpack here and really dive into the five competencies that Stan and David have already mentioned um, in, in general, but we're going to look at those more in depth and how they are key competencies for leaders, especially um, as we find ourselves leading in a more uncertain in uncertain times. And uh, so, but I want to remind you, if, if you're watching live right now and you have a question for Stan and or David, please drop that in chat. We'd love to just include um, your question here um, in, in our conversation. And Stan, I've got a good one for you here in a little bit. Um, so, uh, and, and we had Nick already mentioned, so I, I know you want to get this book in as many leaders' hands as possible. So, uh, 
you found a new, I guess you could say, marketing tactic of talking about Nate Bargatze because Nick said he loves Nate Bargatze. And just on that, I'm going to buy the book. So, and I, yeah, big fan of him. And his dad is a great entertainer too. Uh, Church staff I was at, we had him come and lead a marriage event. And it was the funniest, most creative thing we've ever ever had. I actually uh, told Nate that he inspired me to name this book um, and so I had the, the great privilege of saying that to him, which was a fun, fun moment. That's neat. He's, he's terrific. Yeah. 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 And of course I'm, I'm in the Nashville area. So yeah, big fans of, of Nate yeah. and his father. So that's yeah. fantastic. So I'm curious, um, you know, as, as we're getting insight in, into your book and probably leadership, what was the process of writing like? I know, David, you kind of spoke to how it came to life and um, kind of unearthing these, um, you know, these competencies that Stan was already living out and how you were applying that um, as you guys were coaching church leaders all across the country. What Putting it in book form, what was that process as you guys collaborated together? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a blast. It was confusing it was so like engaging uh all of it kind of together i don't know if uh you know trying to combine the thoughts of of stan and i and the experience you'll you'll actually will read throughout the book as stan talks about these things that he is so good at and then i'll come in behind him and say i'm really bad at that and actually was because of being around Stan and, and helping to have some of these competencies come to life in my own life that now I feel like I am good at it. Like, you know, an example, um, you know, I always thought, and I found this to be true with a lot of leaders. I always thought that asking questions was a sign of a weakness. I'm, I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to come in with the answer, not the question. And, um, and it was in writing this, this book that I started realizing, wow, like I have that totally backward. Um, you know, asking questions is, is strength and, and, it, and it actually uh, equips other people. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, this, this crazy vulnerable or, you know, or even when it is vulnerable, it's so powerful. And I think that, um, you know, you've, you've heard the, the idea of, of flying the plane as you build it. In some ways, that's what, that's what we were doing as we were writing this book and as we were bringing these competencies to life. Um, there was so much time where we would just laugh together and understand. And, and I would ask a question and he would tell a story and it would just unlock this brand new imagination as to where, where we could go and what leaders could accomplish if we really understood this. Um, I remember uh, for Precision Praising, we, we wrote the chapter and I, I, I pulled aside, Stan aside and I said, Stan, are we just telling people to be nicer to each other? Like is Precision, are we saying say nice stuff to people? And, uh, and he pulled, he kind of stand as his way. And I love that we're on video right now. Cause he has this way. Well, he, he kind of sat back in his chair, you know, and he, and he goes, you know, if more leaders understood precision praise, fewer of their staff would quit. And it just opened the, you know, I was just like, well, I could dedicate some time to that. And so, and so honestly, the, in my, in my side of the table, writing the book made me a better leader. Um, because it forced us to wrestle some of these competencies to the ground and actually make them transferable. It, it's not just a theory or the beginning of a thought, but it says, um, you know, we all, we've all heard, no one would ever argue that you should 
ask good questions, but then we build tools that say, and here's how you do it. And that's the stuff that became really fun. So just on the personal side of my own leadership, but then in the, in the, you know, kind of, I guess also personal, but in, in just Stan and I's relationship together, like he became one of my best friends in the midst of, of coming up with and arguing and wrestling this stuff to the ground. So it's, it's, it's been great. And I don't think you hear that very often from, from a, someone in their late thirties and someone in, in their early seventies. I don't think you get like people saying, and that's one of my best friends. Yeah. So there's a, there's a unique perspective there. Yeah. Stan, how was the process of writing and collaborating for you? It was, um, college is the purpose of college is not to learn, but to learn, to learn. (laughs) And, uh, that's what this, you know, in college, I, I was very interested in all the weird professors that taught weird things. So I, I would sign up for their classes and, uh, I was a music major, but, uh, music composition major, but I, I loved I loved learning and trying to figure stuff out. So I have this this way, you know, I grew up in a little village in southern Illinois, 300 people, and there was 28 kids in my high school graduating class, of which, I, by the way, I was 16th from the top. And uh, but uh, I learned just these that I learned from my dad and from that that little community of. Um, storytelling and how to how to understand people and real life stuff and and uh, so a good friend of ours is uh, Will Mancini and uh, Will is does work with Slingshot and and uh, he's helped us a lot in our coaching and I, I was we were talking to Will about this book and I t- began to spend some time with Will and Will said Stan the problem is you don't have a footprint that other people can follow. And I go, I wish I'd never called you. And uh, I go, you know what? I, I confess. He said, you know, Will is a chemical engineer from Penn state. And now he's a, you know, future church guy and great friend to, to me personally and to our company. So he said, I can, I can help you reverse engineer what you know. And that started a great process. And then we invited, involved Corey Hartman. And the fun thing was David and I would send emails and emails and phone calls and phone calls and dump them all into this chapter basket, give it to Corey Hartman. Uh, and Corey would repeat it back to us only with some uh, finesse and some professional writing skills. So it was so fun. It was like we got to hear hear the music before it was ever going public, kind of a thing, you know. So that was a, a great a great thing for us, and it also gave David and me the opportunity to really test these things out with our team. And uh, one thing I would say about improv leadership, um, the soft skills of leaders has been something that's been avoided a lot. And uh, there's lots of research right now that I'm reading and some opinions of, of great leaders that are saying better pay more attention to the soft skills. Uh, 
And uh, that wasn't our necessarily our intent when we began to write this book, but it, it, it hits that head on. There's a great story of Herb Kelleher from, from uh, Southwest Airlines and uh, Patrick Lencioni was uh, at one of their conferences and Patrick Lencioni le leaned over to Herb Kelleher and he said, why don't you think other companies care about this stuff? And, and Herb Kelleher said, I think they think it's below them. Mm. And building relationships with people and liking people and investing enough time into them. Uh, a lot of leaders would prefer to just choose opt out of that kind of thing. And I think it's, it's time that we spend, we pay more attention to that. Yeah. Stan and David, I love how um, the language you guys have put around these competencies, these skills in the book as I read through them. And, and I, I'd really like for, for, and you've already touched on a couple of them, but maybe David, if you could just kind of walk through the five competencies, maybe a short definition of what each one is, maybe Stan, if you want to jump in on each one and color them in a little bit more, um, I think would be great. But um, the, I think the stickiness of, of the language you've put around these competencies for leaders uh, to be more effective in their leadership, um, I think is fantastic. So yeah, David, walk us through the five competencies. Yeah. So the, the first one uh, in the book, we call it story mining. And, and the idea of story mining is thoughtfully uncovering a person's story and allowing it to shape the way you lead them. So, so this is, um, you know, most of our teams, and, and especially now that so many are bringing in virtual teams as well, um, we don't have that accidental time where we can really understand someone's story. And so we, you know, we would walk some a team through how to how to get below the layers of who someone is with intentional questions. This was this is one of the first conversations Stan and I you know, maybe ever had um, when I came on the team at Slingshot Group almost 10 years ago. And I said, Stan, what, what makes someone a great coach? And he said, a, a, you know, a, a great coach is a professional question asker. And, and that really is what this competency is all about. How do you develop question asking as a skill that you can draw on? And then we kind of created some tools around that. Stan, what would you, how, what would you add to You're the good. idea of story mining? You're good. Just keep going. Um, next one is precision praising. So precision praise is carefully crafting praise to inspire and to course correct your team. Um, you know, so many studies have come out around the, this idea that people are motivated by praise. We, we lean into correction and correction is necessary and there, and there's a space for that, but actually motivation is going to come from, from there's like that, that endorphin rush when someone says, this is what you did. That was so good. Um, and people uh, in leadership need to understand that, you know, uh, we did a training for a big executive pastor network and, uh, and afterward, you know, we, we got this, you know, the comment cards from everybody and a lot of really great comments, but we got this one comment and um, it was, it was a, uh, an executive leader. And, and he said, he said, I don't need to praise my team. I pay my team. And, and it was funny because I, I really appreciated that card because so many um, I think a lot of people feel that way, or at least they act like they feel that way. Um, 
And, and the reality is like, you're dealing with human beings that, that, that want to be seen and understood and known and, and to have the things they do so well called out of them. And so again, that, that as a skill, not just a thing, not, not calling someone to be a nicer person, calling someone to be an intentional leader is, is the juxtaposition that we're talking about there. Um, metaphor cementing is number three. <clears throat> so metaphor cementing is using concrete illustrations or metaphors to strengthen teachable points of view. Uh, you know, the, re the reality is people think in pictures. So the metaphor of improv, you know, we, we could come in and say uh, five competencies of leadership. Nobody's, nobody's clamoring for that. Nobody, that, that doesn't capture your imagination. The idea of being a, an improv leader captures imagination, that, that word picture. And so um, we have to figure out like, you know, what would it look like if we walked into our meetings as leaders using pictures, using stories to inspire and even again, cement this idea. We're going this direction and here's how we're going to get there. Um, and so I think that's, that's been a huge one and, and a skill that many are, are in the process of learning. Uh, and then we have a lobbying forward. Lobbying forward is creatively challenging your team to look beyond the day-to-day -day grind of their jobs and into the future. Um, I've, I haven't met some, we have glorified overworking, right? So, I mean, like, so as a general principle, we, we hold people up when they talk about how busy they are. And what happens when you're busy is that you, you start to simplify and it's almost a, you know, if you were to walk through your offices, for those that are listening, you, you know, it's a head down, typing out, accomplish the task, get the thing done. And I think that so many of our team members have lost their imagination. And so lobbying forward is our chance as, as the leader to, to inspire, to say something, to call something out of someone and inspire them. There's a, there's a quote um, that's been actually attributed to many people over the years, but, um, but generally the quote goes, um, a person's mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original dimensions. And so our assertion is it is your job as the leader to stretch the mind of your team. And I think that's a, you know, a really huge piece of this. Um, the final competency of the five, we call it going north. Um, and going north is using indirect influence to redirect a person's thinking or perspective. Um, again, uh, humanity, we are, we are creatures of habit. And so there's this idea of what are the habits and the things that are, that are um, working out for you and what are the habits that are not working out for you. And as the leader, are there ways that we can, that we can change the setting, that we can help to move and challenge those habits that are not working out for you um, in order to, to truly, you know, help you to be your best. And so, again, with, those, with, with the five competencies, they all hit this different aspect of what it means to be a leader and allows the leader to, to pull from their bag when necessary. Hey, right now, this person's stuck. I'm going to go look at my tools for going north so that I can, I can help them to shake the dust, right? Like this person seems like their motivation and their inspiration is a little low. I'm, I'm going to find out what would inspire them and I'm going to stretch their imagination so that they're actually dissatisfied with what is and can't wait to move toward what could be. So that's kind of the, the concept for each of each of the competencies. I would say uh, 
this this is uh, in the book here. There's a yeah. six sketch storyboard. Yeah, right. and uh, there's something pretty amazing. First of all, about you know nobody ever wanted to play the game years ago called Pictionary because they're they're terrible at drawing things. But uh, to identify those six things in your life that have absolutely impacted you in amazing ways. For me, uh, having two having my parents that were married 72 years, I never met a man that loved his wife more than my dad loved my mom. That's impactful to me. That's the first uh, the first picture in my six sketch storyboard. And then, but you identify those things and you ask people to actually draw them. Uh, there's something very uh, therapeutic about that. And that uh, we often see people uh, tear up about how important their high school uh, basketball coach was or how a, a great teacher or um, a pastor that gave them an opportunity to be a to be involved in youth ministry the first time. And uh, that six sketch storyboard is very, very important. Yeah. And that's just, that's an example. That's one example of, mm -hmm. of a tool that you would find. So again, of the five competencies, story mining is one of them. And here's a tool that we use with individuals and teams to draw out their story. And in the book, we teach leaders to use this tool. And so, Hey, maybe you're not great at this. Um, naturally on your own right now. But what, what if what if you had a tool like a six sketch storyboard in your back pocket that on a napkin, you could create six boxes and ask them to sketch out their story and learn something that they, they never would have told you in, in casual conversation. That's great. And I want to remind everyone, we're with Stan Endicott and David Miller, authors of the book Improv Leadership, and just grateful for their time to walk us through these five competencies that are helping leaders to be more effective, especially um, in these challenging times. And so I'm, I'm curious, David, Stan, like, you know, as as we've, as I said, at kind of the top, this, you know, leaders are facing more challenges, more difficulties, more uncertainty than they ever have before. The timeliness of your book and these competencies, just training leaders to, to know how to lead in the moment more effectively. Um, I think one of the, David, something that came to mind earlier um, was it seems like you're helping leaders lead from more of a, a standpoint instead of less of a delivery mindset. This is, how, you know, here are the things I know to do. Here's my, 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 you know, my tricks and my tips, and I'm just going to do that to be more of a, a developmental leader, to look at the moment yeah. and the needs and, and be able to develop ideas or my team for what the mission and the, and the goals are for, for that moment or the challenges that come our way that we weren't expecting. So I'm curious, like, is what of the five competencies and just as people are listening along, I'm going to read them again. Cause again, I, as I said earlier, I love the language around these, the five competencies and improv leadership that David just walked us through of story mining, precision praising, metaphor cementing, lobbying, lobbying forward and going North. I'm curious. I, what are you finding of the five competencies? Which one do you feel like leaders um, kind of get them further faster, especially in this in these times where leaders are facing so much uncertainty, so many challenges? The depth and the breadth of those are more than we've ever faced. Which of these is kind of like, hey, let me grab that one really quick. Let me grab the tools 
and and help me on this one because I need it now. Yeah, uh, I'll, Thanks, I'll go on going north. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I actually came up with the idea from reading about um, generals in in wartime that uh, one of the offenses that they use is to go north on the enemy. And I find that to be very interesting. And um, that's a tactic, uh, by the way, if anybody uh, is from the Midwest and loves to hunt rabbits, that's exactly the, the thing that beagle hounds do for rabbit hunting is they chase the rabbit and we bring the rabbit around. The rabbit thinks it's going 180 degrees away, but actually it's being chased to come around again. And I just, I just love that. I grew up hunting rabbits. I, I love that, that thought. But I think that uh, going north is a skill that is so, it might be more important today than it was two years ago. Because what happens when you have tried to lead up to your supervisor, your boss, your pastor, whomever that might be, and you hit a roadblock. And you know that if you go direct at them, that you're going to get the same answer. And so going north is that idea of indirect influence, which there's a lot of things written about it. We've studied a lot of those. But to how to go around, not in a deceit, deceitful way or a coy way, but just to help them see things through a different lens, that is a great skill. It also helps people not to be easily distract, uh, not to be easily discouraged about a leader that they're having challenges with. Because you have, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Go north on them in this with this tactic. That that is really an important skill. Real quickly, the other one is precision praise. Um, churches and church leaders are so often more about correcting than create than creating. And precision praise is looking at specific things that somebody did. And if you precision praise one of your staff members 50 times during the year, they're, they're looking through a lens that is unique, that unique and fresh, and they see things they may not have seen before, as opposed to, well, let me tell you how you need to improve and let me correct everything. Um, precision praise will help people self-correct as more quickly than than mainly the, the, uh, probably the most things I've ever seen. So it's, it's about helping people to be creative, helping the people to be self-correcting. And it's not about, um, it's not about critiquing them in a negative way. Yeah. I, I think that, I think Jason, it's important. Um, it's, it would be, it's hard for me to choose one, that I think is the most important. Um, and what I've found as I've led leaders through these five competencies is I've started really challenging people. What's the one that bristles you the most? Because when people read it, I, I, I always have a follow-up. So I, I've been doing book clubs and some different things with, with the book over the last um, year now. And, uh, and I'll have someone go, I'm so glad you wrote this book. This is so helpful. And what they're actually saying is, 
this is what I'm naturally good at already. And I'm so glad someone finally said it's valuable. And, and I love that, but I always ask them the follow-up question, which of the five competencies do you not already feel good at? Which one is, is the one that you would say, man, I, I probably need to, I need to some work there because I don't want these to simply be self-fulfilling prophecies that, that, that make you feel good about the way you already lead. This is an opportunity for you to look at something that maybe is a deficiency of yours or that doesn't come as naturally and to, and to not just be inspired. We didn't want to write an inspiring book only. We wanted to write in a book that first inspires you and then gives you like tactile ways to actually become better at it. So if you, on a scale of one to 10, if, if when it comes to precision praising, you're like, I'm not a words of affirmation person. And I'm a, you know, you're a three. If you read this, you're not going to become a 10 overnight. You got to put some practice and some effort into it, but you're going to read and get some skill that will help you to become a five and then be, help you to become a seven and then help you keep moving forward in that and grow in that deficiency. Because when it's all said and done, I can say to, you know, uh, this isn't necessarily our dynamic, but I can say to my wife, uh, sorry, I'm not a words of affirmation person. And I, and I, I would imagine that all of you would be able to, to, to fill in her answer to that, right? Like my natural tendency isn't, isn't enough for me to not offer her words of affirmation if that's the thing that she is fueled by. And mm-hmm. so it's, that is also the truth of our team. And the amount of times that we say, I don't have time to story mine. Well, to the Herb Killer, her, uh, quote, maybe you just think that's beneath you and you're trying some things that if you were to slow down for a minute and really understand who your team, who they are at their core, you would accomplish more together. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't have the effort to precision praise. If I have something hard to say to someone, I'm just going to call them in my office and say it like it is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not actually how humans respond to criticism. Like that's not, you, you know, if, if, if every time you let someone go from your staff, it's in the same office, the same seat, same time of day, guess what happens when someone gets called in your office at that time of day? I mean, they immediately come in with a wall up. We have to be leaders that can adapt and grow. And so I, I, I go back to this book and these competencies um, often to say, hey, I got really good at this. Where am I not thriving in these five things with my team? And how can I improve in that in this season? And then that answer will change from season to season. And that's, that's what I would encourage leaders to, to think through. Which one of, as I read through them earlier, which one did you go, eh, that's the chapter to read. That's yeah. the one to really lean into. Yeah, that's great insight. How, why, why would do you uh, guys feel like um, churches at times um, struggle maybe, uh, or just even ignore these soft skills that you've, you guys have mentioned and that are highlighted in the competencies? or even leaders, maybe not just local churches, but leaders within our churches um, ignore some more of these soft skills that are becoming more and more needed and advocated for today. Because they're going too fast. Hmm. I mean, we're we're trying to, I think so many leaders are guilty of trying to accomplish far more than they have the ability or the, the time. And quite honestly, in many cases, the skill to accomplish. And so we're, we're moving so fast and, you know, uh, we, we when, uh, when I was doing more with uh, Slingshot earlier, we launched this podcast and we, um, one of the first episodes was really around this idea of, of um, as you look at your leadership, is there a wake of people behind you that are wounded by the way that you led them? And I think that there is, that we move in such a way that, that our team becomes a means to an end. They're cogs in the machine of our vision 
versus being people that we've invited on the journey with us. And uh, John Cousins has this great quote in, in his book, Leadership. He says, Jesus didn't invite the disciples into leadership. Jesus invited the disciples to himself and together they did ministry. And there is, and there is something that, that's really beautiful, but come and be a part of this with me. You're not just a means to an end. Leadership is far easier if everyone else is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, my, my answer to your question, Jason, would be, I think they're embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah. So, so often they yeah. are. Yeah. And, and, you know, when a pastor or a leader is at work and they're in their productive, everyday situations, can they expect of themselves that they would treat their team different than they would treat their teenage kids or their wife? Mm-hmm. And so... I do know that a lot of the things in this book are things I've learned from my dad or with my family and that transferred over into our team. And uh, I just find it to be very, very valuable. There's a, a, a great psychologist, uh, Larry Crabb. I wrote a book called Connecting Years several years ago. <clears throat> Forgive me if I don't get the quote right, but basically he says, and I think of pastors like this sometimes. It's one thing to say that uh, I love you or I, a pastor saying to the congregation or a, a leader on his team, really love you guys. It's another thing for them to feel that you love them. And this whole feeling thing, people can just, you know, they can just ignore it or they're not comfortable with it. Uh, the, millennials are, the millennials are going to require it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's in a very important skill of knowing how to treat people, to love people, to, to entice people, to motivate people. These skills all help with that, I think. Well, and Stan, what you just said there um, kind of leads me into the next question that I had for you guys. And one, I came on thinking, I'm, I just want to ask you about the who the audience is for this, but really is through the conversation. What's even more intriguing for me is, um, you know, as a pair of authors, you we have a boomer generation and the millennials represented. And you just mentioned millennials and even Gen Z. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, um, I, I would I would make the assumption that the audience for the book is, you know, leaders, right, of, of course. But I'm curious even more so of how you're finding these competencies, how they speak to the, the boomer generation, boomer leaders, and then millennials and um and, and emerging young leaders as they step into more influence and more opportunity to lead. And just what did you guys learn in the relationship between you two as a, a boomer leader, Stan, David, as a, and a millennial leader 
and um, and the needs of each generation and you know what you're seeing as, even as you coach leaders from both of those generations and obviously how do the competencies you're writing about in improv leadership help those leaders in each of those generations. David and I have spent a lot of time talking about uh, reverse mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were having conversations right now about us writing another book about basically reverse mentoring or what is what can a 70-year-old learn from a 30-year-old? And uh, in our relationship, uh, we coach and mentor each other. And that builds a relationship that is powerful. And uh, uh, the other thing is, is that in American culture, it's, this is my opinion, and I do make stuff up sometimes. So, uh, But in my opinion, when a male in, uh, in America begins to look at the rearview mirror more than looking forward, I think it's early 50s that they begin to think, look too much in the rearview mirror and they're not thinking forward enough. These processes causes boomers to look into the future more. I'm 100% convinced of it. Yeah, I, and I'm sure that's true, you know, male, female across the board. I, I think generationally what these competencies do is they, they, they give a framework for bridge building um, I mean, there is going to be, you know, uh, we did a project um, years ago talking about uh, the translation of, you know, take take the boomer generation, Gen X, millennial, um, and Gen Z, and and how even just phrases and words. When you say high school, they the experience of high school across those generate. When you when you talk about, right, we did a funny one. Uh, when you think of like who James Bond. Right. You know, I mean, every generation, it has their version. And so so that's that same phrase. You say James Bond and and each generation has a different face that pops in their mind and a different version of that character. And then we wonder why we why we're not on the same page so often. This, you know, improv leadership is really a, a, a relational um, bridge building exercise. And from generation to generation for us to say, I, I don't know what it's like to live the life that you have lived and are living, but I know what it's like to see you as a human being. And I want to know you more. I want to accomplish more with you. I want us to run further faster. And so how do we do that rather than looking at and, and saying, man, I wish that generation would. Um, and I think that's where we're coming from. In, in kind of current context is that there is a lot more, I wish that generation would dot, 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 fill in the blank versus um, people asking themselves, how will I engage with this generation? Because we're not going to, there is no vacuum for us to, to lead in. We will lead together. And so, and so there is something very, very intentional about the bridge building capabilities that you gain with these five core competencies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, so what, uh, you know, as our time's wrapping up and I want to recommend and, and, and encourage everyone again to go pick up a copy of Improv Leadership by Stan and David um, at improvleadershipbook.com where you can find out more information. They also have a course that you'll find out about. Um, I've put that in chat where if you really want to take a deep dive into these competencies and learn uh, the tools that they write about in the book. But go ahead and I can't advocate enough to, to grab a copy of this book and as you learn and sharpen your saw as a leader to navigate these times. And, and so uh, David and Sanders, we kind of wrap up our time. I'm really curious as you've coached leaders, as you're hearing from folks who've read the book, what are the things that are standing out uh, from people who've worked through these competencies, who've learned the tools that you guys teach in the book, and maybe even the more surprising things, the, the, the types of things you're hearing from readers from leaders that you weren't expecting. And what are you hearing, Stan? <clears throat> uh, a surprising new relationship with their team. Mm -hmm. yeah. I see it so often. And uh, all of a sudden, their team wants to help them and serve them and participate and collaborate with them. Uh, collaboration is way under, under my, uh, uh, collaboration is a huge important thing in church leadership. And often, often they don't know how to do it because they're so uncomfortable being in the same room together. And this kind of thing really, uh, and, Improv leadership really helps a team to want to be together, to figure things out together. Yeah. There's, there's a phrase that, that we use at, um, in the organization that I'm currently with, um, Novus Global, and, and we say um, rest but never coast. And, and it's interesting to, to watch. I think that what, what I've been encouraged by as I talk to people who have read the book um, is that they're learning how to slow down, but accomplish more. They're learning that by slowing down, they are accomplishing more. And again, it's not slowing down for the sake of slowing down. It's not slowing down to coast or because things are too hard or, you know, it's, it's, it's not that. It's slowing down to make sure that people are on the, the boat with you, that everyone understands and that we're rowing in the same direction. And and there just is something too, if we're all moving together in the same, in, in, in one direction, and we're doing that because we understand each other more, because we feel cared for by our leader, not just like we're a, a you know, cog in the machine, um, we will get further faster and, and we will do it by, by taking the time to do that. And, and that is one of the more counterintuitive things to a leader. I mean, you know, we, we, we really glorify that type A driven leader. And here's the thing. I am that type of leader. So like, like I'm, I, that is not a, a negative unto itself, but when we, when we strictly like lean on our own, um, here's what we're going to, here, we're going to do this one way or the other. And, and again, I don't think most leaders would say that, but they act like that. And so I, I, I have, we have stories talking to, to leaders who would say, you know what, this book challenged me um, to slow and to actually get to know my team. And I had a team that I, we, I was with the team from, um, from the YMCA. So I was doing a training for the YMCA 
leaders from all across um, Southern California and, and LA County and San Diego County. And, and they, um, they said, uh, uh, we've been working together. Most of us have been on this team for 10 years and we had them go through this six catch storyboard. And, and typically in the training, I only have one or two people go at a time, you know, and then the rest kind of can get a little small groups The the president of, of, of that, those chapters of the YMCA said, um, I want to hear every person's story in this room. Mm. I, I am learning things after I've worked with that guy for 10 years and I had no idea that that was a part of his story. And just imagine what you're able to accomplish after understanding someone's story in a brand new way. But what did it take? It took getting away and slowing down and now they're running full speed. There's something really beautiful about that. That was surprising to me because that's again, not my natural tendency. Yeah. I love that. The the power of slowing down to speed up is something we as leaders often forget. And, and Stan, I even love, appreciate just the bringing to the conversation or highlighting again, just the need for collaboration in, on all of our levels, but especially as teams. And that's something that we're really pressing into in this season of the exponential as, as our theme right now is together pursuing the great collaboration that this, this, the, this great that we see in um, John 17 and Jesus's final prayer that, that, you know, as the church, we would be one, but in our teams, how important that is. And just want to mention to those, we've got two more regional conferences coming up that really dive into five layers of what it means to pursue the great collaboration um, coming up in Houston and in Chicago. If, um, so we, if you haven't been to one of our regionals this fall, I want to encourage everyone to go to exponential.org slash events, and you can register there and register your team. What a great way uh, to grow as a team by one, uh, coming to one of these regionals and diving deep and pursuing the great collaboration, but also grabbing again a copy of David and Stan's book, um, Improv Leadership at improvleadershipbook.com. And Stan and David, as we wrap up, I just want to say I'm so grateful for your um, your the gift of this book to the church and to leaders, your just personal ministry and work and calling to equip leaders for more effectiveness uh, for the gospel, to strengthen the church, and that we're all contributing together to see more churches reproduce and multiply so more people can be impacted with the the good news of of Jesus Christ. So thank you for your time today. Thank you for this resource for leaders. It's been so good to hear more, uh, not just about the five competencies, but um, just the collaboration of you two as leaders uh, uh, to resource us to be more effective in our leadership. And so thank you to everyone who's joined us live here in the Exponential Hub or just you're catching the replay. Um, hopefully you'll grab this book and, and, and strengthen you and your team to be more effective as leaders for the cause of Christ. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers you, Stan. Thank you, David. Yeah, blessings, friends.